Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Tim McKnight. I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today's show, we're talking about the 23-step checklist that you could use to find the right investment property. And this is all so you don't buy a dud. Now, there are so many things to think about when you do buy an investment property, but how do you take all of these factors into consideration? Well, it's really hard if you're just looking at a property and kind of guesstimating it, trying to keep up all of these factors in your head if you're thinking about all of the things you need to look out for. And this is why it's really important that you've got a checklist. And we actually just released this one as part of our most recent webinar. So we want to talk to you about it and then I'll give you the link for where you can download it. Now, Andrew, there are 23 factors that we tend to look at, right? Yeah, there's a 23-step checklist that we use at Opus Partners when we're assessing whether or not an investment property is fit for purpose. And it's broken down into five sections. And the sections are location, developer, bank or lending, building or house, and price. And in today's episode, we'll actually take you through a case study of a specific property and talk through what we would select in there here. And then you can do this at home if you're looking at a property yourself. And of course, although we use this here at Opus Partners, we're giving this to you guys so that you can follow a similar process, you know, if you decide that a property investment company isn't actually the right fit for you. Now, the property I'm going to take you through today is a townhouse based in Spraydon. And the first thing we look at is, of course, location. There are six things that I'd recommend you look at. And of course, you can download this so you don't have to be busily taking notes. Usually, I'd be looking at the historical capital growth rate in that region, in that suburb, or in that build type. And the reason I'd suggest that is you need to have an understanding of if you are investing for the property to increase in value, which is how investors make the most amount of money, then you need to have a sense of, well, how fast has that area increased in value in the past? And what is the likelihood that that is going to continue into the future? So in this instance, I know that Spraydon in Christchurch is one of the fastest growing parts of the city. It is also one of the most affordable parts of the city, which is a bit of a bonus. And over the data that, that I was looking at at the time I looked at that property, it had gone up by about 7% a year. So not only is 7% very fast, but it was also one of the faster parts of Christchurch. And therefore, you know, I thought, okay, well, that's got strong historical capital growth. Some other things you'll look at is, well, where is the region in its property cycle? Of course, we often talk about that in the show. Is a particular area overvalued or is it undervalued? And at the time, again, Canterbury was about 17% undervalued, one of the most undervalued parts of the country. So I thought that was pretty good as well. Other things, I won't take you through all of these, but you're looking for population growth, whether there's actually jobs in the area, whether there's a couple of industries within the town, or is it a bit of a one-horse town? Like if you think about Carbido, which has been heavily reliant on its paper mill. If you think about my hometown of Harbido, which was very reliant on dairy, or Manaya, very reliant on bread baking, you potentially don't want to invest in a town that's only got one industry because if that industry falls over, well, there might not be many jobs in that town. And you usually want to think about how close it is to new or upcoming infrastructure because that might draw more people into the town. But Andrew, what happens if you get all of these location factors wrong? Well, location is so important because it's going to determine how much your property is going to increase in value. Now, let's say you take two properties, both $600,000 values. One goes up by a normal 5%. The other only goes up by 4% because you got the location wrong. Now, the difference in terms of growth, you're talking about growth in 15 years of either $650,000 
or $480,000. So there's like a 26% difference or $166,000 difference if you get the location wrong. So you're telling me if I buy a property and you know there's a 1% difference in this example, one property made me 650k, the other one made me $480,000. So there there can be a massive $166,000 difference because one property went up by 5% and one went up by 4%. And if you look at properties across cities, if you look at properties just even comparing suburbs, there are these small one percentage point differences between properties. So you do want to get it right because it adds up over the long term. Now, if you're thinking about buying a new build, you'll also have to think about things around the developer. So Andrew, what are the sort of considerations that you would check off a checklist? So you want to be thinking about things like the developer's financial stability and their ability to actually complete the project, but also without using your money to do that because you don't want to lose any capital that you've invested as a deposit. You want to make sure that they've got a good reputation for quality build and a decent product and finish and, you know, an on-time delivery. You want to make sure that they've got reasonable behavior when things go wrong. So do they come out and fix maintenance issues or do they tell you to bugger off and it's your problem? And is it an all-inclusive turnkey build? So again, the term turnkey gets thrown around by developers all the time. Doesn't mean it's necessarily a turnkey project where you pay for it at the end, everything's ready to go, you can rent it out on day one. And you might think, well, what happens if I don't tick all of these off. Well, one of the real issues, as we've talked about a lot on the show, is that if you get the developer wrong, your property might not get built, or it might not get built to the standard you want. There might be lots of hidden costs. And one thing that I do want to say, I was recently at a Canterbury Young Professionals event speaking and debating with Brad Olson, another economist, and I had somebody come up to me, and it was a great guy. He says, oh, Ed, I've, I've just been building my first home out in Rolleston. And I said, that's wonderful. Congratulations. He says, well, it was a progressive payments build, and I know you don't like those. And I said, no, 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 no. You've, you've got me wrong. You've misunderstood. It's not that I don't like progressive payments builds. The issue is that I think a lot of investors and home buyers get tempted in thinking, oh, that is such a good price for that property, not realizing that there's another $30,000 or $40,000 worth of interest costs. So my issue is never with one type of build over the other. I never usually have issues with new builds versus existing. Either. The most important thing is that you've got an honest comparison and all of the costs are fully understood. Once you do that, you can make any decision you like. So even though on this checklist, once you download it and start using it, it says all-inclusive turnkey build, that doesn't mean that you only buy turnkeys. It doesn't mean that that's the only thing you can buy. It just means if you're going to deviate from that criteria, have you considered that not every progressive payments build has a driveway factored into the costs? Not every progressive payments build has landscaping factored into the cost. It's just a checklist to make sure that you are thinking through all of those considerations. And similarly, if you're buying an existing property, well, you don't need to worry about the developer checklist because you're not going to be buying off a developer. Now, Andrew, what about the bank's criteria? We've got two parts on the checklist here. Yeah, so banks sometimes require a larger deposit depending on the type of property that you're buying. So if you're buying a studio apartment or a jewel key apartment, or a commercial property, or a hotel room, then generally speaking, you're going to need to have a higher cash deposit or usable equity to be able to buy this property. So you might think, hey, this is a really good deal. It's really good yield. But then you might find, hey, the bank's not going to lend you the money or as much money against this property. Or sometimes 
Some apartment complexes in Wellington, certain banks won't lend against them at all because they've already got their market share within that development complex. So you've got to consider these things because you don't want to end up with like a plaster home, a property where you've got a banking issue and you can't sell that property later on. Actually, I've got a friend who's just been in that same situation. They were selling a plaster home that doesn't have a cavity. So it was monolithic, direct fix cladding. I think we actually talked about that building inspection on the show not long ago. And the issue there was that because it's been built in this specific way, and again, not every plaster home has these issues. If it's got a cavity, it's fine. But because this one was direct fix cladding, and it has the potential to be a leaky home, some of the banks were very cagey about lending money against that property. So the two parts on the checklist that we've got in there are the banks are willing to lend against the property and you can get good gearing. So you can get 80% or you can get 65% against it because that's not always the case. But also that you can get insurance because there will be some properties that you can't get insurance on. Absolutely. So say, for example, the as-is market in Christchurch. If you buy a property that's gone through an earthquake, hasn't been repaired to the building code, then you might have trouble getting insurance on that. And if you can't get insurance, you're probably not going to get a mortgage either. And coming back to what we were talking about before, that doesn't mean that if you're in the as-is market and using this checklist that, oh, well, well, I'm not able to tick this, so this checklist doesn't work for me. No, it's just to make sure that you are considering these factors. Now, let's talk about the building itself. So we've talked about the area, we've talked about the developer, we've talked about whether the bank's willing to lend on it. Surely we've got to talk about about the property we're actually looking at, Andrew. Yeah, so then we've got to think about, has it got a, a healthy and acceptable yield for the expected growth that we're looking for. So again, you might be looking for a high yielding property, which is going to sacrifice on growth, but we know, yeah, it's going to get a 6.5% gross yield, so I'm happy with that. Well, similarly, if you were looking at a yield property and you got a 5% gross yield, you'd probably say that's rubbish for a yield property. That's if right. If you got a 5% gross yield for a growth property, you'd say that's really good. Absolutely. Will there be a high tenant demand for the property? Because if you're buying it for a rental, you want to make sure that there's lots of tenants that are willing to buy this property. Will the tenant that we attract like to live in this property? So you've got to think about the type of property and the location. So if you're buying out in Rangiora, for example, you might want to be thinking about a family home as opposed to an apartment out there. Oh, definitely if you're investing in Rangiora. Yeah. Is it a proper finish and spec for the investment property? So again, it might be really nice to have granite bench tops and all the bells and whistles with the property, but am I going to be overspending for what is not going to get me a higher return from a rental perspective? Is the construction robust with low maintenance materials? So again, sometimes you see people use things like cedar wood and then all of a sudden there's a whole lot of maintenance that I've got to factor into my budget. Is it appropriate for a rental? Has it got low maintenance grounds and landscaping? That's a big one for tenants, right? Big one for tenants. Tenants do not want to be dealing with lawns and therefore they won't and you'll end up with issues and having to pay for a gardener if you don't get this right. Does it meet healthy home standards? So can you legally rent the property out? And probably one of the big things is, have when I've done my budget, I use appropriate expenses for the property's cash flow. So again, if you're buying something where you're getting a really high rental income because I've got you know a 10-bedroom house, have I factored in an appropriate level of maintenance for this property because there's going to be a whole lot of wear and tear? And you could use this as a bit of a due diligence checklist just to think about these things. Some of these are not riddle green or black and white kind of issues. If you think about something like uh, low maintenance grounds and landscaping, sometimes a property might be somewhere in the middle. 
but it's about are you thinking about your property purchase from all of these different angles. And one of the, the things is if you get this wrong, you might end up buying a property that has really poor cash flow. So if you think about maybe, oh, we always pick on apartments in Wellington, but it's because it's so easy to. If you, <laughs> if, if you think about a specific apartment in Wellington, some of the ones on Taranaki Street that have really high body corporates or have really high insurance expenses, well, that might not be appropriate for the sort of property, for the, for the amount of rent you've gotten. Well, that means that the expenses are not appropriate for the property's cash flow. Similarly, if you buy a property that's got a whole heap of, of gardens and bushes, you might find that doesn't meet the low maintenance grounds and landscaping. That could be an extra cost for you if you then have to do it up. Or you might have way more maintenance than you thought. And the last factor is all around pricing. So you want to make sure that the property is appropriately priced as an investment property. One of the things we often say is that the average property is not the average rental property. So although the average value of a property in Auckland is $1.3 million, most investors are spending significantly less than that. I know we've got a case study Sunday tomorrow where somebody talks about purchasing an investment property for $750,000 in Auckland. We see investors purchasing from as little as seven hundred dollars in Auckland as well. So we want it to be generally on the more affordable part of the spectrum. Here's a really important one, but often overlooked, is the price at or under its valuation. So when you sign up to purchase a property, you don't want to be paying 750k for something that's only valued at $720,000. So it's just another little check, as well as having broad appeal when it comes to sell the property. And Andrew, what happens if you forget about some of these price factors? Well, you might end up just spending a lot of money on a property, which, you know, again, just might not be the right use of your capital, or you might end up overpaying. So you're spending $1.1 million on something that's only worth a million dollars. Now, does every property investor considers have to meet all of these 23 steps of the checklist? Absolutely not. And buying an investment property and doing it right, you're going to be making a compromise one way or another. So take, for example, if you're buying a dual care apartment, so you're really wanting yield, yes, you're going to be moving away from point number 11, which is the ability to lend money on this property because there are lending restrictions on a dual care apartment. But for you, you might be using a whole lot of cash, so therefore that doesn't come into it. Or let's say you want to use progressive payment because you want to get a cheaper price. You've got a whole bunch of cash, so you're going to fund the property yourself rather than borrow any money from the bank. Well, then you might not have an interest bill, so you move away from factor 10. Or let's say that the property doesn't meet healthy homes criteria at the moment but you're going to extensively renovate the property, you're going to cash flow hack, well then you can break rule number 19. The point is that you can make a decision to deviate from this checklist, but you just have to do so knowing that you are making that deviation and you make your purchase price reflect that. And one of the things we'll do is we'll also allow you to put in your own one. So in most of our other spreadsheets, we, we lock them down. But since there's no complex formula in here, we'll just release it. You can add any other things to this checklist. So this might be your base copy, and then you can add any other specific criteria you're looking for. Now, look, does this spreadsheet apply to every property in the world? No, it's not for commercial properties. It's for residential. Section 2 about the developer doesn't apply if you're purchasing existing properties, but it's a good starting point. Now, you might say, well, where can I download this checklist? If you tap or swipe over the cover art, we'll put a link in there. Or if you go to, I'm making it up now, but I'll make my team do it, opuspartners.co.nz slash checklist. <laughs> that sounds good enough. Opuspartners.co.nz slash checklist. I'll get my team to link it up so you can download it there.
Right, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. Listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. We're going to be back here tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the using the property market. Until next time, 